Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We've been journeying through this letter of Ephesians for quite a while. And the first section of the letter, it deals with the doctrines of God. And the second section that we've been journeying through now is dealing more with uh, how, do our, how do we apply the, the doctrines that we've just learned about in the first part of Ephesians to our lives today. And it really is regarding our duty as being Christians and to walk in faithfulness to the Lord. And the next two Sundays, we're going to be talking about marriage roles. Today, I'll be talking primarily to wives in the room. And next week, uh, Jim Cofield will be talking primarily to husbands in the room. Please turn now to Ephesians 5.22 as I'm talking primarily to wives this morning. And we'll be looking at these three verses. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. As we look at these three verses, there's going to be three questions I want to address this morning. The first question is, what is submission. The second question is, why should wives submit to their husbands? And the third question is, what are specific things a wife can do to support and to respect her husband? What is submission? Now, that is a word in our culture today where people tend to cringe and they think submission. And with our women's liberation movement of today, that word seems to be getting a bad rap And it almost seems as if it's a bad word. But God used it uh, to be a good word. Before we look at how God defines submission, I want to talk about what submission is not. The first thing submission is not is, submission does not mean that a woman is inferior to her husband. It does not mean inferiority. We know in the beginning that God created men and women in the image of God. We are both designed with dignity, which means that men and women have, are equal in value, are equal in worth, and have equal dignity. Uh, Paul described this in this way, Galatians 3.28. He said, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amy Rynow, in her book, Visionary Marriage, which I highly recommend, she and her husband Rob wrote the book together, and she said, when God created the wife as a helper, he did not create a second-class citizen. He created a co-worker with equal value and equal worth. Submission does not mean inferiority. It does not mean a woman is less than a man, because we are created equally in the image of God. So we have equal value, equal worth, equal dignity. Submission does not mean that wives are to follow their husbands into sin. So if your husband, wife, wives in the room, if your husband commands what God forbids and then or forbids what God commands, you must not follow him into sin. If he's doing something that is contrary to the word of God and he's leading you astray, then you must hold him accountable And do not follow him in committing that sin. You need to speak up and say, husband, 
what you're doing is not good. It is not right. It is not helpful for me and for this family and for society. So please do not live this way and do these things. So wives, please do not follow your husband into sin. That's not what submission means. Submission also does not mean passivity. I know of women who are, yes, dear, or yes, honey, type of women. And that's not always a bad thing to be supportive and encouraging in that way. But don't always be a yes, honey, or yes, dear. You have a voice, too, and you are not to be a doormat. And so if you disagree with your husband on something, speak up. In fact, I believe a wife's primary role is to be a consultant to her husband. His primary consultant One who has great influence on him and his decision making. So you can't be passive, but instead you need to be active in the marriage. Active in relationship. Active in decisions. And say, this is what I think we should do, honey. What do you think? Honey, this is the direction I think we should go. But at the end of the day, the husband has the ultimate accountability and ultimate authority to make those decisions. So submission does not mean passivity. It means you are to be his greatest consultant. So what does God mean when he says wives are to submit to husbands? Well, the word submission, I happen to like the 1828 version of Webster's Dictionary. (laughs) And if you don't have a copy, I encourage you to get one if they are still around. But the reason I like the 1828 Webster's Dictionary is it has a lot of scripture as it describes and defines words. It's really, really well written. But in the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, it says submission means to yield, to resign, to surrender to the power, will, or authority of another. I like the word yield. Yield. Paul said it this way, verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. He also said in Colossians 3, 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. We are to, women are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord or as is fitting to the Lord. So what does that mean? Well, just as we as Christians submit under the leadership and authority of the Lord, so wives are to submit humbly and graciously and even gladly under the authority of their husband, of their husband. Now, we know that we all live under the authority of God. And some of us submit to him willingly and others unwillingly. I would encourage you wives in the room to submit under the authority of your husband gladly and not grudgingly. And husbands in the room, it is our responsibility to make our wives' job much easier by loving and serving them. And so next week you're not off the hook because Jim's going to be speaking to you men. And I'm sure your wife will want you here. So please be sure to be here. The best example of humble submission is Jesus himself. Think about Jesus. The Son of God and God the Father are equal. They are a part of the Trinity. They're equal. Jesus the Son is equal in value, worth, and dignity as to the Father. And yet, at the same time, Jesus humbly submitted himself to God's will, God the Father's will, and to their plan of salvation. Jesus left heaven, he came to this earth, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is by far the greatest example of, of submission ever in history and throughout the Bible. Because Jesus, the Son, he could have called a legion of angels to rescue him while he was dying on the cross. He had that kind of power and authority. He, was, he is God. But yet he didn't call down the legions of angels. Why? Because he humbled himself and submitted to the will of the Father and to their plan that he must die to forgive us of our sins. Just as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for us, the church, so husbands are to love our wives and give up our lives for them. And as men do that, the wife will respond graciously and with respect and out of love. But as I think about Jesus submitting himself to the plan and will of the Father. I think about how it was really a gift to us, his people. Submission was a gift given to us and ultimately a gift uh, to the plan and to the will of the Father. In the same way, wives, I would encourage you to think of submission as a gift to your husband as you offer it to him willingly and sacrificially and voluntarily and you submit under his leadership. One of, the, one of the greatest examples I could think of this week that might bring this point home of what submission is, is, you know, there's been a lot of construction lately in our area, and if you just go down North Shore, you'll see several of these roundabouts. You'll see one or two roundabouts, and you'll go uh, to, the, to the new town center at North Shore. You'll see a roundabout there. You'll go to big cities. You see a roundabout. What does a roundabout do? It's this big uh, circular traffic thing that directs two, three, four lanes into, into moving in a different direction. And you have two, three, four cars coming at the same point, And there are yield signs all around. And as one car is coming around, the other must yield as it's, as it's un- ongoing. And they must yield so the car can continue to go and then they will follow. In the same way, I see it where wives should submit to husband's authority. In that, you're both going towards the Lord in the same direction. But yet, as you're going and you see your husband coming, he's, you've got to yield and you've got to follow him and support him. Because what happens in a roundabout if neither car yields? Crash! Boom! Disaster! Chaos happens! So that's a good way to think of submission in the sense of yielding at a roundabout. And why should wives submit and yield to their husband's authority? Well, verse 23 tells us, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. The word head is an interesting word. It's kephale in Greek. And Dr. Wayne Grudem, he he did an in-depth study of this word kephale in Greek, head. And he discovered that it was used 2,336 times. And he said, every single time I saw the word kephale or head, 
It spoke to authority. It spoke to one person having authority over another. In the same way, part of God's design in marriage was that the husband should have ultimate authority and ultimate accountability in his marriage. Which means, husbands, you are held to a greater and higher standard. And one day, you will go on the throne room of God and you will have to report what you did ultimately. You'll be judged for what you did and how you led your family and how you were held accountable and had authority over your family. So it is a high and holy calling to be the husband. It's a high and holy calling to be the wife. We just have different roles. We're equal in value. We have different roles. One way that Paul described it in 1 Corinthians 11 was this. He said, for man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. The point that Paul is making in this passage when it comes to marriage is that men and women are equal in value, and we have different roles. Adam was created first, and then Eve meaning there is an order to the structure. There is an order to the family. And as you think about every single organization in society, institution in society, you always have a leader. Think about it. There's a president. There's a principal. There's a head coach. There's a chairperson of the board. There's a general. Any organization you go to, There is a leader, and the leader has the ultimate authority and the ultimate accountability. In the same way, God has designed the family for the man to be the head of the home, where he has ultimate accountability and ultimate authority. And if God did not put this structure in place, chaos would happen. I like what David Delk said. He said, all authorities are in place because God put them there. Without respect for authority, there would be chaos. There is a natural order to the world, and things only work right when people live within that natural order. What would happen if the moon said to the earth, I think I'll just go my way? There would be chaos in the solar system. Whenever I do premarital counseling, I tell the soon-to-be husband and wife, I'll say, you are equal in value and worth and dignity. You have different job responsibilities that God has given you. It's really a 51-49 relationship because when you come to a big decision to make, that's when, husband, you've got to take the lead. Wife, you've got to submit to that decision. Now, as a good husband and leader, you collaborate with your wife always. You hear her out to the best of your ability, and you make a decision that's sound and wise. That's what God intended for the home. And I like what Paul went on to say in verse 23. He said, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. He's really honing in on the husband here, and he's saying, remember what Jesus has done for you, church? He loved you so much He gave himself up for you. He was 
the savior of you. He rescued you and saved you from your dominion of sin and from hell itself. He rescued you from that. He saved you from that. In the same way, husbands, we have to have that mindset when it comes to our marriage, that we are to love and cherish our wives, that we are to serve them, that we are to give ourselves up for them and our family and our kids, just as Christ loved us, his body. And men, just as you love your body and take care of your body, you need to take care of her body. You need to take care of your family. That's the call that God has placed us, and it is a high and holy calling, and men, we've got to rise to that challenge. And as we rise to that challenge, our wives will graciously and humbly follow. So let's get to the third question. What are specific things a wife can do to show support and show respect to her husband? Notice what Paul said in verse 24. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husband. Just as we, the church, submit under the authority and leadership of Jesus, so wives are to submit under the authority and leadership of their husbands in everything. So what does that mean practically? Okay, Seth, this all sounds good in theory, but how do I do this? Well, let's go back to the beginning in Genesis 2 and really see what the wife's job description is. Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper, or I will make him a helper that's fit for him. The word helper is very interesting. It's Ezer in Hebrew. And it doesn't just mean a suitable helper. You know what else? What, what it really means? And I learned this this week as I was really studying it. It means a wife should be a reinforcement to her husband. You know, as I read Genesis, I always thought, well, you know, Adam was lonely in the garden and he needed somebody to fulfill his happiness. That's part of it in the sense that Adam was lonely. He had animals, but, but he really needed somebody to cheer him up and live life with him. And, and so God provided him Eve to help him with his loneliness. And he provided Adam, Eve, to help him with life, to be a reinforcement. Do you know the word Ezer? As you study the Old Testament, it's often referred to in a military way where there's reinforcements that come in to help fight the battle, where the person who's fighting the battle is getting tired and there's reinforcements that come in. In the same way, women, wives in the room, your primary responsibility when it comes to the marriage is to be that reinforcement. To be that help as you and your husband journey through this thing called life together. You're to provide that support because after all, a marriage is a team. And you're there to work together and to help him. And I would ask yourself this question, ladies. What are the areas where my husband needs help in life? Where are the areas that he's weak in that I might be strong in, that I could provide reinforcement and really help complement him? Now, you pay me to ask hard questions, and so I'm going to ask you a hard question. When is the last time you woke up in the morning and you asked yourself this question, how can I help my husband today? I think, unfortunately, so many wives... <laughs> So many ladies, so many people in general, but 
get caught up in the work of the day, of raising their children, of managing their home, that they forget their primary responsibility to help their husband. So I would encourage you, just practically speaking, to ask your husband maybe once a month, honey, how can I help you succeed today? How can I help you today as we're doing this thing called life together? How can I help you? That's ultimately what God is getting at here when he said, Adam needed a helper. Not only to help him with his loneliness, but at the end of the day, he needed reinforcement. He needed help in tending the garden because after all, they were in the garden together and I'm sure Adam was getting tired. There was work even before the fall. He was working even before the fall came. There will be work in heaven. And Adam realized, God realized Adam can't do this himself. He's got to have help. And so again, wife, I would encourage you to ask the question, how can I help my husband succeed? And not only his work, but in raising this family together. Because after all, both of you, husband and wife, one of your primary responsibilities is to raise your children in the Lord and to manage the home well. Because Adam didn't just leave Eve in the garden to herself to manage everything. But they worked on it together. You know, Vody Bauckham, in his book on marriage, I like how he defined a wife's role. He said, a wife is a COO, a chief operating officer, where the husband is the CEO, chief executive officer. But what does a good COO do? A COO manages an organization, the day-to-day functions of it. They caretake it. They're still under the authority of the CEO, who the CEO understands the big picture and leads the organization in that way. But a good COO makes makes sure things are put together. If if I didn't have Todd Colbush here, this church would fall apart. A COO helps manage things accordingly. And in Titus 2, another passage that, ladies, I would encourage you to look at, It says, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Working at home. That doesn't mean every woman should be a stay-at-home mom. It's not what that means. What this means is, is that ladies, wives, your, one of your responsibilities, primary responsibilities is to manage the home, working at home, caring for the home, nurturing the home, making your home a nest, caring for it. Men, you need to do the same thing. It doesn't mean you get a pass. And this doesn't mean that wives have to do all the cooking and cleaning, no. But what it simply means is, is that managing the home as a COO. I'll give you a couple examples of what we do, and we don't do it perfectly, and neither do you. <laughs> but what we do, Stephanie and I do, is I, I, when it comes to our finances, I try to operate like a COO. I don't do it perfectly, and she'd be the first to tell you that. But as CEO, I will say, okay, where do we want our money to go big picture-wise? How are we going to make these big decisions on saving, spending, and giving? She is a much better money manager than I am. 
So she actually looks at the money day to day. And some women are better than men at that. Some men are better than women. But in our home, she's better at it. She has color-coded spreadsheets. She has all these different tabs. I'm just like overwhelmed when I see it. I'm like, wow, this is crazy. And we, at times, will have a budget meeting. And for those of you who are like me that understand money and are okay with it, but don't deal with it every day, I would just encourage you, show up to the meeting and have input, okay? But when we have our budget meeting, she'll say, this is where our money's going. This is where we are. And then she will ask me questions like, okay, what do you think this money should, where do you think this should go? Where should this go? What decisions should we make here? And then as CEO, I'll say, Stephanie, I think we need to go here. And she'll say, okay, great. But at the end of the day, she manages it really well. And then again, she defers to bigger decisions. And I'll say, we got to go here. Because at the end of the day, men, we're still held ultimately accountable for how our finances are run. Right? So that's one way. Another thing we do is we, we have a monthly calendar, a big calendar. And because we live very busy lives, like many of you, every month, right as the month starts, we will look at it every night and every month and we'll mark out what we're doing just so we know as a family what we're doing the next day, what we're doing the next week, what we're doing the next month. And we try to keep everything organized. I'm an extrovert. I'm not as orderly, so if I didn't have my wife, it would be pretty chaotic in our home. We'd probably be eating a lot of pizza. But I'm thankful that my wife really owns the role of COO. So wives, I would encourage you to operate in the same way, whatever it may mean. It may not mean finances. There might be another category in your home where one will serve better than the other. But that's just one way to look at it, right, is COO, CEO. And then as you, go, as you go on in Ephesians 5, the first thing you do as a wife is you support your husband in that way as COO. But then you also have to ask the question, okay, how do I respect my husband? Because that's the other fundamental thing that Paul mentions here in verse 33. At the very end of the chapter, he said, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. What does that word mean? Well, respect, it means to notice, to regard, to honor, to prefer, to defer to, to encourage, and to even admire. First, it says, husbands, love your wife, which you'll hear about next week. What does that mean? Wives, submit to your husband. What does the word respect, or submit, but what does the word respect mean? You are to respect your husband. Well, there's three different ways to look at the word respect. Three different words when it comes to respect. First, respect, it means to view or consider with some degree of reverence. To esteem as possess of real worth. Then you go to the next level of respect, and it's reverence. To regard with awe, mingled with respect and affection. It is nearly equivalent to veneration, but expresses something less of the same emotion. Then you get to the highest level of respect, and that word is used as veneration, which means it's the highest degree of respect and reverence. When it comes to marriage, wives, ladies, I really like the word reverence more than I do respect, even veneration, and here's why. The word respect makes me think of respecting everyone. We are all, men and women, humans, are made in the image of God. So we are called to respect one another. 
to hold each other to some kind of high esteem, right? Veneration is the highest form of respect, and really only God deserves that kind of respect, the utmost respect. Only God deserves veneration, ultimately. Reverence, though, is a key word for you to think about in your marriage, women. Because what does it mean? It means to regard your husband with all that's mingled with respect and affection. You like your husband. You don't just love him. You learn to like him too. It's nearly equivalent to veneration, but it expresses something less of the same emotion. It's not quite to the level of your respect to God. But it's greater than just respecting everyone else in the sense that your husband, his opinion should matter a whole lot more than anybody else's. You should love your husband and treat him really in many ways greater than other people. Because after all, (laughs) you two are together for the rest of your lives. So the word reverence is really the key I would encourage you to be thinking of here. Where you desire to treat your husband with greater respect than you treat others. And when you revere your husband... It's as if you're giving him special attention that is reserved for him alone. Special attention that's just reserved for him. That's what I think of when I think of the word revere. So the question I have is, wives, how can you revere your husband? How can you show him that kind of respect? Well, a couple things I would encourage you to do. First and foremost, I would encourage you to affirm your husband. I've heard it said that at the core of every man is that we want to know that we have what it takes. At the end of our lives, men want to say, my life mattered and I made a difference. We, we ask the question, honey, how did I do? And wives, I would encourage you to affirm your husband and say, great job. Keep it up. Thank you for working hard for this family. Thank you for providing for our family. Thank you for sacrificing every day. You know what I would encourage you to think about? I would encourage you to think about being his biggest cheerleader. And cheer him on. And when he has bad days at work, listen to him. And then encourage him and say, I know it was a bad day, but thank you for working hard. And keep it up. Thank you. Because that strikes at the heart of every man. When we feel like our bride is right there with us cheering us along and cheering us on the way. That's how you can show reverence to him, encourage him when he's working and when he's doing the best he can. And try not to be super critical. There's going to be days where he's going to make silly decisions and yeah, you need to hold him accountable and set him straight. Every man needs to marry up. What I mean by that is a wife needs to be able to say, I got to put you in in your place, man. And that's a good thing. But what I'm talking about is if you're complaining to him, if you're critical of him, that is the fastest thing that will drive him away from you. Please, ladies, don't be super critical. Don't complain at him too much. Say, well, I wish you did this and I wish you did that. Don't nag him that way because it will drive him further from you and it will make it harder for you to respect him. I would also say to pray for your husband. And again, I'm going to have to ask you a hard question. When's the last time you really prayed for him? 
And I'm not saying, Lord, I pray that my husband will have a good day today. Or I pray that my husband will will do well in his job today. But when have you really stopped to pray for him? Again, with the busyness of life, it's, it's easy to neglect maybe the most important thing, and that is to pray. Pray that your husband will become more like Christ. Pray that God will help you to, to support him in that way. Pray that, pray that your husband will become the man that God wants him to be. Don't stop praying for him. And I absolutely love Proverbs thirty-one, twelve. You want to do your husband good and not evil all the days of your life. You want to do your husband good. You want well for him and not evil for him and how do you how can you have good days revere him respect him ask him how can I help you succeed today how can I help you in this thing called life cheer him on even praise him in public at times there have been times where I'll be in a group of people and I'll hear my wife talking about me in a positive light she doesn't know it and I'll hear it I'll be like man that really that really did something for me Don't be fake about it. Be genuine. Praise your husband in public. Encourage him when he does things well. When he he steps up and prays for you and and leads your family spiritually, it may not be perfect. And you may look at it and say, well, I could have done a lot better than that. But instead of being critical and say, well, I could have done better than that, say, honey, thank you. Thank you for praying with our family. Thank you for, for reading the Bible to our kids. Thank you for talking to them about the sermon and about what they learned in Sunday school. Thank you. Because if you're critical of him, he, he, he's probably not going to do it. Or it might take him a while for him to do it again. Don't beat him up. Build him up. And as you build him up, he'll continue. He'll continue to respond well. Now, as we close out here, you may be sitting here today and you may be saying, Seth, this all sounds great in theory, but my husband is not getting the point. Again, bring him next week. Let him hear it. And I would say this, I would say this, if, if you're in a situation where it's really hard, I would just encourage you to keep doing what you're called to do. God has clearly laid out your job description. You're responsible for what you're, for what you're responsible for. You're not responsible for him, you're responsible for you. At the end of the day, your husband will be held responsible to God for what he didn't do. You are responsible for doing your part even if he doesn't do his part. That's what a covenant marriage is, where you say, I promise to do my part whether my spouse does his or her part. You're called to be faithful, and I would encourage you to do so. The other thing I would mention is, Only Jesus will meet all of your needs. Your husband will not meet every need that you have. There will be days of disappointment. There will be days of conflict. There will be days of loneliness as a wife. Jesus will meet needs that your husband won't. And there are other women who will meet needs that your husband may not be able to meet. If you don't have another gal friend, another female friend, please... Be a friend to another woman and let her meet some of those needs that your husband is not going to meet. At the end here, I want Susan Horn to show, we're going to show a video of Susan Horn 
our women's director, and she's going to encourage wives in the room and all women in the room to get involved in a women's group of some kind. So let's hear from Susan. Right now is the perfect time to jump in and join one of our women's Bible studies. God made us to be in community with one another, and it's so important to have other godly women around us. These groups give us the perfect space for close, authentic relationships that really allow us to walk alongside one another during the joys and heartaches of life. We're able to remind one another of the truth of God's Word and how this affects the way we live and interact with others. Whether you're married or single, young or a bit older, it's important to nurture your relationship with God so that you are ready for the work God has entrusted you to do, whether that's in your ministry, your workplace, your family, or as a friend. And if you're a wife and a mother, you wanna be equipped to support the mission and vision that God has given to your husband for your family. So jump in, join a group. You'll find all the details on the women's ministry page of our website. My email is at the bottom of the page, and I'd love to help you find the group that's right for you. We start this week, so sign up today. Thank you, Susan. This is a great time, ladies, to get involved in a women's group of some kind, and it's so critical for you to have another friend that you can share life with that's not your husband, and it needs to be a, it needs to be a woman. So get to know another woman. If you don't, we have plenty of opportunities for you to do that, and she may meet needs that your husband won't, and at the end of the day, only Jesus will meet all of your needs.